Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. journey that we're calling this moment and uh, uh, we're also preparing well into next year with some with some uh, pretty exciting uh, sermon series we are uh, doing a sermon series our next one is on shalom or peace attending to peace in our lives and we're going to have uh, a artist do an art gallery we have all sorts of interesting things happening during during that time so I'm excited for the next one coming up but for right now we are in this advent series this moment, uh, we were talking about the key pivotal occasions where the people, uh, where people in the Christmas story, they had to make a snap decision. They had to decide something in a moment, and that made them part of the story, and I'm sure that there's those who made decisions that made them not part of the story. But when these people responded in these unlikely moments, it reveals that God had been working in their story over a long time. The people who are in the Christmas story didn't just suddenly show up there. They've been on a journey with God. Their decisions are a culmination of God's working in them over a long time. A lot of you, God has been working in your life over a long time. When is that moment going to come that you have a decision to make? That you have a moment that comes and you have to just choose to go one way or the other. Well, for these characters in the Bible, and particularly Joseph today, we're going to take a look at how they in a moment uh, responded in a way that changed, in this case, the course of history. The whole reason why we are here today. This character in the story is pivotal, Joseph. Little did his craftsmen know that there would be a moment where he would respond to God's work in his life. But before we get to that moment, we want to take a look back. Just a little bit back. Uh, because the writer of the book of Matthew, Matthew, when he takes a look, and before he introduces Joseph, he does something. He introduces Joseph's family. Some of you are going to spend some time uh, this Christmas with family. I don't know if COVID's allowing that for some of you or travel is allowing that. But you have a family. I have one grandmother left. And I, and I don't think that she's coming for Christmas. We sure really wanted to find a way to, 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 to make her uh, come on down for us. But Joseph has this back story of family. And it's laid out. And there's particularly something notable that scholars have noticed for a long time. And it is this. There's four women that are listed here. I think the writer of Matthew is wanting, or Matthew is wanting to say this because these particular grandmothers, great, great, great grandmothers of Joseph, had a little bit of a twinge of who Mary might have been, or what this moment was, or something about these four women did something in Joseph's life that he made a decision that actually broke the law in order for him to experience something good and gracious. And we're going to dive into it here. But who are these four important figures? I'm just going to do a rundown on them. But they were stories, each of grace and justice. Stories that were not about what is fair, but what is good. We often think the stories of the Old Testament are people who followed the law of God to a T, and they were celebrated for it. No, it's often stories of people who, in the midst of the brokenness of the moment in their life, they uh, were on the right side of history with God. 
Do you see that there's a difference there? Following the law, the religious law to a T, it's possible to do that and not be on the right side of the story. But Joseph's great-grandmothers, they actually trusted God in an interesting way. So I'm going to tell you about some of these. The four that are listed in Joseph's backstory, his great-grandmothers, Tamar, slept with his father-in-law by pretending to be a prostitute in order to carry on her family line. Great-grandma, right? What she did was wrong, but instead, the Bible says that she was called righteous for doing this thing. That's odd. Great-grandma Tamar. How about great-grandma Rahab? She was a prostitute Gentile who was protecting spies in Jericho when they were taking over the city. And her life was spared for it. She's celebrated in this. Or Ruth. She was also a Gentile outsider who was courageous and loyal. Boaz met her, protected her, and she would become the great-grandmother of King David. A very rich story for great-grandmother Ruth. And then the last one listed is Bathsheba. She's a wife of a Gentile Hittite. She was unfaithful to her husband and used by the king, and she was the mother of King Solomon. Four very interesting women are in Joseph's backstory. And Joseph, you would have known, would have grown up with these backstories, would have grown up knowing the lives of these outsider women, women who were at risk of being stoned or disregarded in their culture or outcast from society by the things that they did. But in each case, they were considered righteous and courageous or played a role in the greater story of the Bible, in the story of God. So Joseph is the great-grandson of these amazing women. And that's what Matthew wants to point out right out of the gate. These are four little bright lights that show up right before we get to the story. So, what happens next? Matthew 18, I'm going to read this here again. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, so now we're meeting the fifth woman in the story, right? He lists off four, and now he's going to list off a fifth. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Mary, she's found out. She's in her village, and the baggy clothes she wears can't really cover her pregnancy anymore. She's, she's getting big, right? There's a baby inside of her. She's about to have this baby. And now word has gotten out. Mary, how could you? How could you disgrace us like this? You're supposed to be faithful to your husband-to-be, and now this infidelity. Well, it is subject to law. It's subject, and this time, actually, to stoning. If you're really following the law closely, which actually their Jewish town was, was a very uh, religious town. So it was common and lawful and the righteous religious thing to do at the time was to stone Mary, was to kill her. Kept aside. Marriage was important in this society, of course. It kept, it kept their community together. It kept the honor of different families. It was the way to make legal agreements and make sure that they were upheld. Land stayed in families or was transitioned to families. And so when Mary broke all of that in the eyes of her community, guess what the neighbors were supposed to do? They were supposed to drag her out and be done with her. Friends and family who might have known young Mary, might have known that she was a good girl, it doesn't matter because she was done in this culture. And Nazareth was capable of this. In the life of Jesus, guess what? Jesus was drug out to be stoned by his own neighbors and friends and family in the town of Nazareth. 
So if Jesus did this for something he said, imagine Mary for her having a baby and it's showing. Mary being found out and cheating on her betrothed was actually a death sentence for her. She knew it. Joseph knew it. The whole town knew it. It was only fair. Just when were they going to pull this off? When were they going to do it? It was only fair. But Joseph does something in this. And this is our focus today. I'm just setting us up to see what Joseph is facing here. This is before he encounters an angel. Before he's in on the big story. Before he knows what's going down, Joseph's character comes out. Jesus' dad's character comes out. Joseph here does something that's called righteous. He's one of the few people in the Bible that's given this title of righteous. Really good guy. But even more than that, he's trusting God. In this moment, his sense of justice is not to stone or harm Mary at all. Instead, he breaks a law protecting him and his family in order to protect her. I'm going to say this again. He breaks a law protecting him and his family in order to protect her. He forgoes justice and fairness for goodness and righteousness. He forgoes justice and fairness for goodness and righteousness, or goodness and grace. Even before he has any sense of God's role in this, he chooses to do what is good. Instead of what is fair, he takes the cost on himself and he forgoes what is owed to him. A little bit of foreshadowing here, maybe, right? This is who Jesus is, right? Jesus is somebody who forgoes what is owed to him as, as the king of the world, the, the creator, come to us and he forgoes what's fair and he does what is good instead. I want to talk about anger for a second. For those who have been here long enough, you'll know that anger is one of my inner challenges. It's one of my great life confessions. It's a sin in my heart that I deal with. Some of us have passed down different things. Well, my great-grandparents, guess what? Some of them were pretty angry people, right? We can look back, and I have stories of my great-grandmothers and great-grandpas, right? Some of them were angry people, and this was passed down. It is, it is in my genes. But you know what? I can't blame my ancient French genetics. I can't. It's Preston's turn, right? I cannot blame them. This is my life and my time to respond. One of my professors once said, you can't blame your, your uh, genetics or your family history for anything after the age of 30. I thought that, that was a pretty good date, right? After 30, it's on me now, right? So I can't blame anyone. My anger might not show up in rage or wrath. I very seldom let it spill out. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. It very seldom spills out in my daily life, but rather it is an inner feeling that I have to come to terms with and give to Jesus often. It is my burden to bear. Well, Joseph is my friend in this. Did you know that Joseph was angry? You see, the story of Joseph is about a man who was rightfully and fairly angry. But it's what he chooses to do with his anger in this moment that changes the course of the story. Let's read this. It says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. As he considered this. Now, we think of this consideration like this. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder what this young lady has been doing while I was away working. I wonder. Well, actually, this word considered is actually a, a word that is translated, should be maybe Scholars think it should be translated as seized, <laughs> as he seized on this. You ever seethe? Seething's one of my favorite kind of emotions. I don't know. I kind of like it. I, it, it like kicks something off me to just seethe a little bit, right? Just carry it. Even if I can give up the seething, I'm still like, oh, but can I go back and seethe a little bit later too, right? 
Can I circle back on it? But it should be after he seethes. And this word is an angry word. It doesn't really come through sometimes. But Jesus uses this word often in his stories when he's talking about people. He tells of a story of a man who is insulted as a banquet, and he seethes. He talked about another man who was a landowner who was mistreated, and he seethes. It's a good word to use when you've just been, you've been given the short end of the stick. It isn't fair for you, so you seethe. You can't quite come out and rage, but you've been given the short end of the stick. So this is what Joseph is doing. He's seething. But like Jesus' stories where anger turns to grace, Joseph's anger changes to grace too. And he has a way of putting it down. You see, he has every right to expect what is fair in his culture. He's the man of the house in this culture. He has this young lady, and he's going to start a family with her. And Joseph is betrayed. And guess what? It's a human thing to feel betrayed and hurt. And it draws forth his seething anger. But Joseph did not carry it forever. Somehow in this story, in ways that we don't know, he, he must have put this aside because it seems that only then, after he seethed, that the angel visited him. And the story goes on. I wonder if Jesus had an angry dad. One that would seethe. My girls are probably going to have some stories of an angry dad. <laughs> They'll be like, yeah, I remember the time dad was fixing that thing and he was just pouncing around the house seething over something, right? I wonder if Jesus knew what it was to have an angry dad. But what's curious is that Jesus would have a dad that knew how to put his anger away and turn it into grace in the story. Joseph, he did it with Mary. He took his seething and he put it somewhere because he was righteous. I wonder if he did that with his son, Jesus. <laughs> seething over something that may, might have spilt milk or something. But Jesus would have seen his father turn anger into grace. You see, this man was not righteous for being stoic. He was not righteous because he had no feelings. For being pious without experiencing anger. But for taking what is fair and exchanging it for what is good. And this is the character of Joseph that comes through right away. Let's keep reading and see what happens in the rest of the story. Take a look at Jesus' dad and how he responded to the world around him. So, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son and you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up, and he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until, uh, until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. In this moment, we're talking about this moment, in this moment, Joseph does what the angel asks, and he quickly changes his mind. You see, in this culture, the order of things was this. You would be engaged, and this was legally binding. It had pretty much every bounding effect of being married legally. You're engaged. And then there would be, and that was the big celebration, but you wouldn't come together yet. You wouldn't consummate the marriage yet, but then there would be uh, a time of that, sometimes up to a couple of years, and then you would be married. And that was a much, maybe not quite as exciting celebration, but that is when you would begin your life together, and you would begin your family in a lot of cases. So, he 
would have had to divorce her to break out of the first half of this legally binding engagement. And he was planning to it. And he, was, and he said, how about we find a way to break this off? But of course, this is better to break this off than to stone her. So he's figuring this is the better way. But then he does this 180. And he goes from wanting to break off this engagement to going through and actually marrying her and being fully her husband. So from death to marriage, this is a remarkable U-turn that Joseph is undergoing here. Soon, he would hold his baby, his baby boy. And all because he decided to do what is, not to do what is fair, to kill her, or to out her, or to divorce her, but to do what is good. Each moment he lived into a different kind of good. Not the good of doing what the law allowed him to do, but the good of protecting this young girl. In Isaiah 42, there's a scripture that's often attributed to the coming Messiah, this long-hoped-for Messiah. Who is this Messiah coming? Is he going to wield a big sword? Is he going to come through and get everything that's right and fair for his people? And it says this. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Mary, she is this bruised reed. She's a young girl with a baby, not a whole lot more. She's a bruised reed, and she's a dimly burning wick. One, and Mary would have been gone, and Joseph had that power. But look what, she's a young girl, and she's fragile, but Jesus, I think, was a lot like the Messiah that he would hold. His form of justice, his form of making things right was the way of the long-promised-for Messiah that he would bring forth justice faithfully by not snapping the reed or blowing out the, the burning wick, but that he would gather her into his arms and protect her and give up what is fair by doing what is right and what is good. Do you see where I'm going with this? Did he know the baby that he was holding would love the world with the same kind of justice? Not the justice that comes in and snaps the breaking reed or blows out a little wick, but comes in and says, there's life here, let's keep this life going. A lot of what God does is not fair. <laughs> a lot of the way that God makes the world right is not by making things fair, but by doing what is good. Joseph, he sacrificed a lot for Mary and the baby, even taking her with him from her town. He, might be, he should have maybe left her there. She's bursting in pregnancy, but is he going to leave her in this town of people who are tossing stones in the air? No. Come. Come, my love. I'm going to take you. I'm going to keep you safe with me. And then... They both had to flee to Egypt, and here's Joseph going, what have I gotten myself into? And he's off to Egypt now to take his young baby boy and his wife. He sacrificed, he gave all he had, and he was called righteous for it. Jesus would have grown up, I think, with a very good dad. Not because he was fair, but because he was good. He would get angry, but he turned anger into grace. And he would give up what he was owed to him so that Jesus could go first. When you read the sayings of Jesus, I began to read the book of Matthew and I started to read the sayings of Jesus and consider that perhaps some of them came first from his dad. God often speaks like that. Listen to this. Imagine little boy Jesus prancing around as a six-year-old and having Joseph, this very good dad, lean over and say this. Jesus, blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. Jesus, Good job, my man. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. 
Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Jesus, my son, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Be generous. My son, my son, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you might become children of your Father in heaven. That's a beautiful thing. It's fun to read it thinking that some of the things that Jesus says, well, I can almost hear Joseph's voice in Jesus' words. I can almost hear Joseph's voice in Jesus' words. Now, of course, the Bible says that we do not know what, or the Bible doesn't lay out what happened to Joseph. We get a little inkling of him later when Jesus is 12 and he goes to Jerusalem, but he's not part of the story when Jesus comes on the scene again at the age of 30. He likely died leaving Mary in the care of their large and growing family. Jesus had brothers and sisters. He had siblings and a large family. We will not know, but his righteousness lives on. The righteousness of this good and righteous Joseph lives on. He was a good dad. And it began long before he chose, in a moment, to respond with grace and goodness. In a moment, he knew how to respond to the angel. But even before then, Jesus or Joseph was responding out of who he was and how he understood the world would be made right again. I think it's a beautiful thing to me when I think of Jesus being born to this beautiful Mary that Pastor Evan talked about last week and Joseph today. We think sometimes we forget this back story. Who's this mom and dad that formed Jesus? No, Jesus just appeared on the scene and said, see you mom and dad, I'm the savior of the world, here I go. No, I think God intended that even his son would be shaped by this loving mom and dad who were faithful and good and gracious, who knew what to do with their anger when they'd go off the handle and turn it into even grace. I think Jesus was formed by his family. And I don't think that makes him any less the son of God who speaks as the father's voice in the world. It makes me realize that the way God is working in the world today is here, in our homes, around our kitchen tables, in our families, in domestic places. Are you an aunt or an uncle? God is working in you to bring about something good between you and even your niece or your nephew. Friends, this is the beautiful moments that we have. And this Christmas, we're going to enter into some of these beautiful moments. I'm going to want to fly off the handle. Why? Because I come by it honestly, right? Thank you, great-grandma Dick. Love her, love her. But she was a hearty one, right? She had a German fire inside of her. Yes, oh, I'm over 30. Okay, sorry, great-grandma Dick. Wherever you are, I love you. It's, it's on me now, right? No. We are going to be people this year who choose in every moment that God has been forming us that when we see the moment come, that we respond with the graciousness of Christ that we would be ready to do that. We'd, like Mary, we'd say yes. Like Joseph, we'd say okay. And we go. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these moments that we have. These Christmas moments in front of us. Lord, you have worked in us throughout this pandemic and we are aching and we are sad and we might feel hard done by. We might feel like this world has given us something that isn't fair and we stand here and we have to make a choice. Do we rage on and go forward or do we stop and we say, no, Lord, what is good? How do we not break the bruised reed? How do we not snuff out a wick when it's in front of us?
but how do we join in you, in how you make the world right again? May we join in Jesus' justice, in Jesus' goodness, in Jesus' grace, in a world that needs you. And may we be your people here who walk in the way of Joseph and in the way of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Help us to respond forever, always, with goodness and grace in this moment here because you've already done that for us. In Jesus' name, please stand with me. Friends, thank you for joining us in person this morning. I know that's difficult in a lot of ways, and thank you online for everybody joining us there too. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here. You're God's beloved. Have a really good week. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone.